from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. Today, we've got a lit RPG by Alexander Bain called Berserker, a lit RPG adventure. Aaron must enter a mysterious game world to search for the consciousness of his comatose wife. Filled with confidence and ego, Aaron quickly realizes he has never played a game quite like this before. Alexander Bain is an American author specializing in lit RPG and game lit and other genres of fantasy. A new author, Alexander has been eagerly learning the ins and outs of the self-publishing game from his home in Cedar Park, Texas, with his wife, four cats, and dog Marley. And now, a sample of Berserker, Episode 1. The thick, musty stench of smoke overwhelmed his senses. Blood coated his mouth, the metallic bite almost gagging. Unconsciousness threatened to pull him back until the pain radiating from every fiber of his body finally caught up with his scrambled mind. A cacophony of several determined people shouting over each other rattled through the darkness. He's waking up, a woman shouted. Mr. Sorton, can you hear me? A man asked. A high-pitched, unending beep, 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 and the clank of metal drowned out the stranger's voice. The noise kept growing louder, as if he were exiting a tunnel. Mr. Sorton, you've been in an accident. I need you to listen to my voice. Accident? Aaron didn't remember any accident. They had been on the way home from dinner when... Blood smeared the window. Shards of broken glass mixed in her hair. Bella! Where is Bella? Aaron's muscles convulsed at the memory, shaking the operating table, but strong hands held him in place. That moment had been unnervingly loud, and it all came rushing back, like his head was held under whitewater rapids, muffled but thunderous. And the smell. Burning hair, copper, gasoline. And was it... Brisket? He fought against the man restraining him, fighting to yank the needles from his arms as he realized. No. Bella. I have to get to her. Shit. The man cursed. Forced to adjust his grip, experience helping him use leverage against his flailing patient. Nurse, let's issue 50 milligrams of propofol, please. His voice remained unusually calm against Aaron's thrashing. Mr. Sorton, Bella is fine. I need you to stay still. We're working on your spine and move. The voice faded off, covered by the whoosh of running water. Aaron didn't fight the darkness claiming him this time. Bella was fine. Bella was not fine. The steady staccato of beeps laced with the whoosh-whoosh of the iron lung attested to that. She lay in the hospital bed next to him, unmoving, eerily resembling Aurora in that old animated movie. After several minutes of staring at her still form, Aaron forced himself to turn from his wife and focused on his feet again. Move your big toe, he said flatly. Nothing happened. Zilch. Just like the last 100 times he tried. Even the use of a classic line from one of his favorite movies didn't help. Sighing, he looked at the ceiling and then again at his Bella. He needed to focus before he got lost in his own self-pity. Bella couldn't afford for him to go all mopey right now. 
She needed him to be strong. Some asshole decided to go manual in his car on the I-10. When the entire road is a series of cars driven by individual AI, each talking to each other a few billion times every second, and the average speed is 125 miles per hour, going manual is stupid dangerous. It wasn't even a feature you could normally access, but there was a loophole. In the event of something catastrophic happening, your car could turn control over to the human element. Adrenaline junkies and idiots were all too eager to breach the system when they wanted a rush. That was how Aaron and Bella ended up dual residents of Grey's Anatomy. On the car ride home, the night held a promise of creating fond memories. Giggling and laughing, kissing and gazing into each other's eyes. Truly wrapped up in the moment with each other. They were oblivious to the other car, and their joy instantly turned into screaming metal blood, and tears. The worst part? Old Evil Knievel walked away without a scratch. Bella's beeping, whooshing machines dragged Aaron out of those dark memories. Sometimes there really isn't justice in this world. A man in a white lab coat came in, a stern look on his face. Mr. Sorton, we're ready for you. Aaron nodded, and began the awkward dance of swinging his now useless legs over the side of the bed and lowering himself into his wheelchair. The rhythm of the fluorescent lights passing overhead was hypnotizing. Combining with the soft humming from the orderly pushing his wheelchair, Aaron found himself drifting off. He hadn't slept much since the accident, having spent the majority of his time watching and waiting for Bella to wake. Add in the occasional attempt to get his toes to move through sheer willpower, sleep had been hard to chase. Even when he managed to close his eyes, the crash haunted him. Over and over, shattering glass, the blood oozing from small cuts blossoming on her cheek and forehead, and that screeching roar of twisting metal. Bella's terrified eyes always filled his vision just before he'd wake in a panic, covered in sweat. Aaron slapped his cheeks a few times, shaking his head, and driving back the pull of exhaustion. He put his game face on having no idea what this meeting was for. Probably something concerning red tape and his bill for the hospital stay. They better not be making the mistake of asking him to sign a DNR for Bella again. The last doctor who asked had walked away with a black eye, courtesy of the stand for his IV drip being mysteriously thrown at him. No, it wasn't going to be that. He hoped they weren't going to tell him he was being released. Physically, aside from his complete inability to walk, he was fine. Over the last few weeks, he'd finished the mandatory physical therapy, had gone through the ridiculous psyche eval with that quack Rosen something, and was trying to learn how to live as a paraplegic. Aaron supposed they would see that as something he could do from home. He wouldn't, of course. There was no way he would leave Bella and risk her waking up alone in a strange place. Not going to happen. He kept his face blank as they turned the corner. Dr. Montague was already waiting in his office having a heated discussion with another, smaller man. The wheel in his chair hit a gap in the tile and squeaked, pulling Dr. Montague's attention away from the new face. Ah, Aaron, please do come in, Dr. Montague rumbled, waving to a spot in front of his desk. Not that I have much of a choice, is it, Doc? Aaron replied, his tone more bitter than he intended. The orderly locked the wheels on Aaron's chair and with a nod from the doctor, left the room. 
leaving Aaron alone with the doc and whoever this other man was. Dr. Montego coughed. <clears throat> yes, of course. Let me introduce Franklin Strider. He is the lead on a few projects we're working on here and asked to sit in on this meeting. Aaron nodded at the man, watching him intently. His unblinking gaze gave Aaron the chills. Like he was some kind of lab rat this guy was there to analyze. Deciding to pick his battles, Aaron turned back to Dr. Montague. I hope you haven't called me in here to tell me you're releasing me, Aaron said. Like hell am I going home and pretending everything is alright. I'll be there, by Bella's side when she wakes. Tonight, tomorrow, next year. It doesn't matter. Aaron glared at the doctor for several moments to make sure his point was clear. He could swear he saw a small smile tug at the corner of Montego's lips. Yes, I believe you have made yourself quite clear on your feelings about Bella's treatment, Mr. Sorton. Dr. Crawford has refused to visit you again after the incident with... He looked at his notes. Ah, yes, an IV stand. However, that's not the purpose of this meeting. We're here to discuss your condition, as well as Bella's. Knowing your views on Bella's treatment, I'll start there. Aaron's anger cooled. Finally. Maybe, just maybe, he'd get some answers. Taking a page from you, Mr. Sorton, I'll get right to the point. Bella is not improving. Don't get me wrong, she's stable, and physically there isn't anything catastrophically wrong with her. Unfortunately, with each moment that goes by, the likelihood of her reaching a full recovery lessens. That doesn't make any sense, Doc. If there's nothing wrong with her, why would... Because she's not waking up, Aaron. The period of time it takes a person to recover consciousness when in a coma is inversely related to the likelihood of their reaching full recovery. After three days, there is only a 7% chance she will make a full recovery. At two weeks, that drops to 2%. For those like Bella, who take longer, assuming they make a full recovery and don't transition to a vegetative state, there is no way to know how long they may remain comatose, or what kind of effect it may have on their body. She could wake tomorrow, or next month, year, decade. Or she may never wake up. Aaron felt like he'd been hit in the gut. Never? Bella might never wake? That's... That's not possible, Aaron murmured. You can transplant hearts, give people robotic arms, but you can't wake my wife? His face began to flush, unable to stop himself from getting worked up. Dr. Montague hesitated before continuing. You are correct, Mr. Sorton, we can do all those things, but it's important to understand the ramifications of such an action. The human mind is a complex machine, so complex we are still discovering its mysteries to this day. And while we can physically wake Bella, it would be extremely dangerous to do so. Aaron jerked forward, unable to keep his temper down. More dangerous than leaving her to rot! Actually, yes. Bella is physically sound, and yet hasn't woken. Our scans show her brain is very active, so something is happening in her mind. Think of it as though she's in a deep sleep and dreaming. Now, unlike when you dream and your conscious knows that you're sleeping, hers does not. Aaron dug his nails into the arm of his wheelchair, waiting for the punchline. 
Basically, Mr. Sorton, if we force her to wake up, we may wake her body, but there is no guarantee her mind will come along. It is entirely possible her psyche could shatter as her subconscious attempts to grapple with what is real. Were that to happen, she may never recover. You mean she'd go crazy? Aaron asked. She would likely go catatonic, Dr. Montague corrected. Aaron thought for several moments, his shoulders beginning to sag. Okay. Yeah, so we can't wake her. She has to wake on her own. That's the whole of it, yes, Dr. Montague said. Then, what do we do, Doc? You didn't wheel me in here to sit around twiddling our thumbs. What options do we have? Dr. Montague glanced at Franklin before continuing. If you will bear with me, Mr. Sorton, I'd like to switch topics and focus on your condition for a minute. Aaron moved to protest, but Dr. Montague raised a hand, cutting him off. I know, Aaron, but it's necessary. Thanks, Doc. Hit him with a wrecking ball and flip gears. Fine. Sure. You're the doctor, right? He asked, frustrated. Thank you, Dr. Montague replied. As you know, there was some damage to your spinal cord in the accident, resulting in complete loss of motor control below the waist. Dr. Rosenbaum believes you're avoiding dealing with this significant issue by focusing on Bella and her condition. That's crazy, Aaron screamed. And to be frank, I don't give a shit what a bunch of egghead psychiatrists think. Look, this is a waste of time. Tell me what options we have for Bella. Tell me I think they're right, Dr. Montague pressed on. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. Didn't matter? Him being unable to walk didn't matter? This guy had a set of steel ball bearings throwing didn't matter at him. Aaron felt his fists clench involuntarily. First, it's sorry your wife may never come to, and now it... You see, Mr. Sorton, you will have to come to terms with your condition. The physical therapy over the last several weeks and your recent MRIs confirmed what we suspected. Your spinal cord was nearly completely severed during the accident. It will never heal on its own. The world rushed in on Aaron. Memories of his time working as a construction foreman, walking build sites running through the park with Bella, swimming on a hot summer day. The doc said never. No amount of move your big toe was going to get it done. That's... That's bullshit, doc. Yeah, I may be laid up at the moment, but it's only temporary. I can still feel my feet, for God's sake. It's called phantom limb syndrome, Mr. Sorton, when... Don't give me that shit, Aaron yelled. I may not be a doctor, but I'm stubborn. I'm going to fucking walk again. And not you or anyone else can tell me otherwise. Aaron crossed his arms, his gaze daring the doctor to argue with him. Dr. Montague just sighed. I hope you're right, Aaron. I really do. But it's important you understand, this isn't something that being stubborn can fix. This is a house with no walls, or perhaps a river with no water, as a better metaphor. It's vitally important you understand and are prepared to make the necessary adjustments to live in this new situation. Aaron started to argue again, but Dr. Montague cut him off. Even if you are able to miraculously heal yourself, which is literally what we are talking about here, a miracle, it will not happen tomorrow. 
you will have to live in a wheelchair for the foreseeable future. Silence descended on the room. Aaron tried to come up with a response, except he couldn't. Images of handicap ramps, shower chairs, and what he was supposed to do concerning their two-story home flooded his mind. Foreseeable future. If he ever crossed paths with the Steve-O wannabe prick that walked off like he didn't just destroy two lives, he'd shove his phantom foot right up his... Which brings us to the main focus of this meeting. We may have a unique opportunity. Aaron looked up sharply at the dock. Franklin here is a representative of Interius Online. Are you familiar? The video game? With, like, green dudes and dragons? Orcs, actually, but yes. Chiming in for the first time, Franklin smiled as he corrected him. Aaron studied the man. He hadn't paid much attention to him, but looking at him now, Aaron wasn't all that impressed. Expensive suit, hands without any calluses, and a thin pair of wire-rimmed glasses. Typical pencil-pusher type. Probably got beat up in school and had his shoes stolen. Fine. Orcs. What about it? Well, Franklin is here to discuss a new, uh, area that Interius is looking to expand into. Medical technology. Uh, perhaps I can better explain, Franklin said. Interius, while the world's largest massive multiplayer immersive reality experience, was not actually designed to be a game. Originally, it was designed for use in the medical field. Aaron grunted. It was enough to convey to the skinny man to get to the point. Our founder, Winston Beauregard, was distraught, as he found himself in a situation very similar to the one you are currently in. His wife, Moira, had been in a plane crash, before the speed rails were erected, you see, and was in a persistent coma not unlike Bella's. Mr. Beauregard was determined to help his wife. He theorized if he could create a virtual world that was real enough to trick the brain, and somehow log her in, and he could log in alongside her and help her to wake. Should that fail, he could live with her in her virtual world. Spent years constructing his vision. He built an amazing world full of treasures, magic, and beautiful locations. Drawing from history, myth, and legend, he populated that world with sentient beings controlled by individual AI. Eventually, the project got too large for him to handle alone, and he started taking on help. Except Winston no longer had the money to power the servers or pay those he hired. And he was having trouble keeping those in his employ focused on the task at hand. You see, Winston created something so intricate, so lifelike, that when people logged in, they didn't want to log back out. And in Terrius, they could move about, do as they wish, interact with the native AI. They could truly live a second life. In fact, one where they often had amazing abilities. Aaron didn't really understand the draw, but he could see how it would be a difficult problem to solve. Money was money, and good help can be hard to find. That is when Mr. Beauregard truly had his most genius idea. He converted aspects of the world into kingdoms, governments, and communities. He wrote storylines for the AI. In short, he turned Interius into a game. The best-selling game in history, as a matter of fact. There are literally people who live their lives in Interius, are married in Interius, even have families with AI. It really is a wonder to behold.
Aaron resisted growling for Franklin to get on with it. Who hadn't heard about people like that? There had been a large expose several years before, people wasting their lives gaming or something like that. Lots of debate about whether it was right to live in a virtual world or marry a computer program. Ultimately, the debate faded to more pressing concerns, and now people didn't much seem to care. A few politicians had gotten their start with it, though. Franklin's smile faded. Unfortunately, Moira died before we reached the conclusion of Mr. Beauregard's dream. He didn't take it well. He spends all his time in-world now, doing this and that. Franklin paused, shaking himself away from the tangent. But we have reached that conclusion. We believe we've successfully devised a way to transfer Bella into the game, bringing her consciousness around to a realistic, computer-controlled world, and allow you to enter Antarius and guide her back from her comatose state. The words bounced around in Aaron's head, and a low chuckle poured from his chest. A moment later, he was laughing. Hard. Tears streamed down his cheeks, and he held his side as he slapped his knee. Franklin did not seem amused. You... you think you can cure my Bella? Aaron wheezed through the laughter. With a fucking video game? Saying it out loud made Aaron laugh even harder. The stress, trauma, and heartbreak of the last few days collided with the absurdity of the moment, thrusting him into a delirious spiral he was having trouble fighting. It felt good to laugh again. Mr. Sorton, I assure you that what Franklin is discussing is entirely possible, Dr. Montague said. While they haven't had any human trials yet, that is largely due to the delicate nature of this process and the requirements for those involved. Oh yeah, Aaron said, starting to get his giggling fit under control. What kind of requirements? Dr. Montague looked to Franklin, and Aaron swore a nervous look crossed the doctor's face. First, the patients must be in an active coma with positive brain activity. These cases are actually rarer than you would think. Most comatose patients wake quickly, as we discussed or are simply connected to a machine having transitioned to a vegetative state. We cannot bring back the brain dead, Mr. Sorton. Only God can do that. Aaron understood that last part all too well. The thought of Bella's brain being damaged was a considerable worry for him these last few weeks. Second, we don't know what will happen during the login process for the patient. Most characters go through a character creation process, but a person loaded in from a coma would likely inhabit a character most similar to their image of themselves. This is problematic at best, because a person forcefully logged in likely won't know they're in a game, while most players have the distance that allows them to do things like fight and kill NPCs, go on adventures and respawn without trauma. But the patient... They would be of the impression that the world was real, and the consequences to their psyche would be as real as if you or I killed someone in the real world. Basically, since they wouldn't know it's a game, they would feel as if they were really doing those things and suffer all the guilt and whatnot associated with it, Aaron said. Exactly. Aaron was starting to take this more seriously now. It was absolutely insane. 
But given the advancements in technology and medicine, was it really so impossible? What aren't you telling me, Doc? Dr. Montague sighed. Aaron, it's important you know the risks involved. To a normal player, they know they're playing a game. Logout is a consideration if they get uncomfortable or want to see their family. Even those who live in the world know it's a game. Bella would not. It is possible she may become so convinced that the world she's in is real that she may be unable to accept the truth. Bella may end up stuck in a coma, not because she can't wake, but because she won't. We could lose her from this world forever. The following silence felt somehow lighter than before. Aaron felt no pressure in their gazes. They were patiently waiting as he considered their words. They weren't kidding. I would be able to log in and find her, bring her back? Yes, Franklin said instantly. Theoretically, Dr. Montague corrected. Aaron nodded. I'm in. So, JP, before we talk to our author, let's talk about pro writing aid. Pro writing aid. You know, one of the things that I love is that it shows you your achievements. Um, And I love that it gives you this wordle of like your grammar improvement. So you can see all Mm -hmm. of the things that you improved. It's like super motivating to me to look at all the improvements I've made in adverbs and verbs and commas and hyphens and all of that. So I love that they send that. And they show how my style is improving. And the cool part is that over time, it's like there are less and less improvements that because I'm just becoming a better writer. So I love that part. I Yeah, no, I love it. I really like it when I am first drafting because then I see it all the time. When I'm not first drafting, I like rarely see the word map. But when I am... Uh, first drafting, which a lot of people are probably doing or have done because of NaNoWriMo, um, you get to see this like progress that you make on a weekly basis and like see where your your pitfalls are, uh, which will only help you later on. Uh, and it just shows you your progress. It's the it's the coolest thing ever. I really enjoy uh, getting those emails when I'm first drafting. When I'm not, it makes me motivated to make more words because then I feel guilty. <laughs> I feel like I'm first drafting every day. I keep joking that uh, serial fiction is NaNoWriMo every day. So I'm like, every day is NaNoWriMo for me. I'm not doing it because, you know, I'm already putting four to six K out a week into the world. So, but yeah, it's awesome. Well, that's because you're a monster, but thanks. you know, <laughs> I try. you're I try. welcome. I'm glad you're a monster. But yeah, so, so pro writing aid for monsters and people, prowritingaid.com yes. and use our discount code serial 20. Serial, S-E-R-I-A-L, 20. Do it. Do it. The monster inside demands it. (laughs) So you have an opportunity to go into a video game to possibly recover his wife's mind. What inspired you to write this lit RPG tale? So I fell in love with game lit and lit RPG a few years ago. Um, But... I there's there's a lot of stories and books in the genre where it's just sort of like, you know, people log in and they're having a good time. And I wanted something that really gave uh, Aaron, the character, a reason to be there, especially because the idea for Aaron was that he's not a person who would ever play a video game like this. Uh, so 
something that gave him stakes to be there, a reason to stick around after all the stuff starts to happen. Um, and, and it allowed there to be love. And I like love. Wonderful. So which character are you excited for readers to read about and why? Maybe even uh, which NPC? Ooh. <laughs> uh, so I am in love with a lot of characters in this book um, or this serial at the moment, eventual writing the writing amoeba that is any story um okay so i'm really excited for readers to watch the character of aaron go through hell basically aaron is going to just get the living tar beat out of him for a huge section of this book which is really enjoyable to watch because he brings every bit of it completely on himself just being kind of that like stubborn machismo guy who refuses to like learn the way things are done but the party he teams up with i'm really excited for his relationship with torben and i think uh the readers are going to really enjoy that uh and then uh my personal favorite npc recently is handy the hundred armed uh blacksmith who makes him his legendary uh weapon amazing yeah 100 arms would be very useful for a blacksmith (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) so you said aaron is not much of a gamer but i am just looking at the chair you're sitting in even though our Mm -hmm. listeners can't hear it and that looks like a pretty serious gaming chair so i'm having to guess that you're a gamer Uh, have been (laughs) yeah so what video game would you want to go into and why if you had the opportunity oh there's so many great games um So I was a World of Warcraft player for years. Um, And there are certainly sections of this book where I pull on my my absolute obsession with World of Warcraft that was around for a while from like times where they're talking about forums to guild building to all those sorts of things. Um, And that would be pretty awesome. Um, Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with probably World of Warcraft because anything else and like the actual like living out of that would be awful. Like Dragon Age would be cool, but I don't know that I'd actually wanna go through the stuff in Dragon Age uh same thing with a lot of the other great great games i'm thinking of so i'm interested uh so what kind of or what does the barbarian slash berserker aspect tie into the story is that like a class or something along those lines and do you want to kind of dive into that yeah so interius uh which is uh the, the world that aaron and the story take place in it was originally designed as a uh, kind of an artificial world for people who are having medical issues to kind of like be in during those medical issues. Uh, Aaron ends up trying to uh, help his wife, Bella, who's in a coma after a car accident, wake up from her coma that has reached a point where they're not sure if it's going to ever end by having her logged in without her knowledge and then him jumping in to try to find her in this world. So in this world as it shifted from just a medical thing to a player thing a lot of stuff wasn't completely the same way it would be in a normal game where you like you pick and you build your character and this your character your class is assigned uh once you hit a certain level based on the actions you take up to that point so aaron ends up in a strange position where he just takes forever to reach that level because he's not interested in playing a game he's interested in saving his wife and so he just gets killed over and over and over again. Um, I think one of my favorite, like a a personal joy of mine was writing the first line of one of the episodes was, uh, it hurts more to get ripped in half than you would think. 
Um, and, and that that's kind of Aaron's experience just over and over and over dying. Uh, the Berserker class, um, which comes from, uh, which will be the eventual evolution of his current class, which is Hammerhead, uh, is basically comes around just because he is that stubborn, I don't want to do it your way, I'm going to do it my way thing. And he's the first one who ever gets this class because nobody else was dumb enough to do so. <laughs> I really enjoy that. And I, I think that's a great tie into his character because you had him come in. He doesn't pick a class. He doesn't pick stats. It's like, just make me me. So it's mm-hmm. kind of an extension of his character that way. Then he then he's this berserker and barbarian. Um, that's really cool. Do you want to tell us anything more about the story that you're excited about um, for listeners to, to know? Yeah, I've uh, I've always been a fan of stories that that operate on multiple levels, uh, and that's definitely the goal here with this. Uh, readers will find that there's uh, the enjoyable Schadenfreude-esque story of Aaron uh, being forced, <laughs> sometimes almost against his will, to grow as a human being and be able to interact with other people on a social level, uh, despite his kind of misgivings, because um, he's kind of that like machismo like played football in school kind of guy and he's being thrust into a world of dragons and wizards and people running around role playing. Um, this has obvious side effects uh, that then go completely horrible for him because levels matter in Interius. And so he gets, he gets uh, smacked around quite a bit. Uh, but in addition to that, he's, he's going through all this and he's learning to grow as a person because it's helping him find his wife um who who is his number one goal the entire time uh meanwhile uh bella uh comes into the world she doesn't know she's in a fake world uh for her she's just waking up and so she's dealing with like this magical world and seeing people like treat npcs terribly and she has her own story arc that is going to kind of collide with his towards the climax of the book um and so uh, it's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this is weaving those through those like two or three plot lines in and around each other. So how does your background in stunt coordinating and performing <laughs> influence your writing? <laughs> uh, I enjoy writing the fight scenes. It helps a lot there. Um, so yeah, I was in the film industry for quite some time. And while I was doing that, uh, I, I did a lot of uh, fight choreography. Uh, that was kind of where I specialized fight choreography stuff. And so um, when I'm writing the scenes, it makes it pretty interesting to see what's going to happen next. Uh, and I think it helps me tinge the conflict with uh, a basis in reality and then recognize when it's over the top moments. Um, there's a battle scene where Aaron is fighting a stegosaurus and the stegosaurus just starts rolling over trying to effectively grind him up like a blender with its spikes on its back. Completely ludicrous, absolutely ridiculous. But it it admits that, right? And I think that uh, ability to to walk that line and dance back and forth between the absolute ridiculous and the the, the grounded in reality is super fun. Well, I love that. And I mean, when you're doing video games, you can kind of push the, the envelope a bit. What do you like most about Let RPG? So there's definitely aspects of it that uh, appeal to my numbers nerdness. Um, it's fun to watch the stats grow um, and, that, and that, and then you can see well, theories and like uh, tactics that are being developed in the character and the characters discovering them while you are. And that's a really interesting thing for a gamer to like have that connection 
in that way that you're you're almost like watching them learn to play the game while you're learning to play the game makes it really really interesting um but also i like that it opens up the opportunity to have characters that are larger than life that don't have to be superheroes i'm curious what are your thoughts on how vr and ar has and will impact society as that technology develops so okay i I had a discussion with a good friend of mine recently about this. Um, I think VR is awesome. And I think it's come crazy long distances from, from where it was. Um, I remember like, uh, I think when I first, my first VR stuff to play with was, what was it? There was a, a Nintendo or VR headset thing that everything was in red and I played Wario on it. I don't remember what it was called, but like the VR boy, I think is what it was. Uh, and I had that as a kid. It was, fun it was great um and then you know as we've gotten come along now of course uh, a few years ago you had the playstation and then now we've got the oculus quest um and i think it's it's coming along and i enjoy it um i'm waiting for vr and ar to combine where i can wear the oculus or wear um you know a, a vibe or something while I'm walking around out in the world and see minecraft world that people have built on top of the real world um, I think that's coming. It's, it, I can't imagine that's going to take very long. And then eventually we'll get to like immersive, immersive reality where, you know, you see, smell, feel like you're there. Um, I'm a little more nervous about that. Not sure I'd be an alpha tester for that one. Cause, uh, I like my brain, <laughs> but, uh, if it does work, I think that'd be super cool. I also like my brain. I think that's a smart move. <laughs> so speaking of brains and other people's thoughts do you have any audience feedback or participation in the story have you had mm -hmm. any comments or direction um in terms of writing the serial so the serial hasn't had a whole it, it's had some direction from like my editors and those sorts of things and definitely the people uh, that i'm close with um it hasn't gotten as much like public I would say direction. I don't have people like on in the comment chains, like demanding that I make it more crunchy or anything like that, uh, which I think has been really a blessing because it's allowed me to, to build and develop the story sort of the way that uh, it lives as an amoeba in my brain as we continue along. So you mentioned playing World of Warcraft and oh, that yeah. immediately made me think of that major glitch, quote unquote, known as corrupted blood uh, that occurred where basically there was supposed to be this one um, status that occurred in this one area and it basically became a pandemic in a, in a virtual world. I'm just curious, does your game have any sort of glitches or cheats in it uh, that would cause sort of these events in that aspect? So uh, I will say that there is an aspect of the uh, of the end of the first season of what will eventually be collated into the first book um, that is definitely going to have some similarities to that. Um, not in that it'll be Corrupted Blood, the instance itself, but in that something that's not really the way it was designed to be used is going to get twisted and it's going to become a major threat to the population. Um, on a more consistent level, Aaron himself breaks the game a lot just because he doesn't know the right way to do things um like he's in a quest he's, he's given a quest by somebody to go and do something and he's like okay but can i like just like do something else and the guy's like no the only thing i want more is my freedom 
and goes off on you know the big long soliloquy and he so aaron breaks his chain and is like there can can i go now and I guess, sure i guess um yeah there's a there's a lot of that in the book uh, or in this in the series and i think that's um yeah so is there anything you haven't explored yet either in this serial or future works that you're planning to or want to Oh yeah, definitely. Um, this story is definitely a love story. The first one, right? It's, it's Aaron trying to save Bella, Bella not needing to be saved, uh, them growing as people and, and such. Um, the next season is going to be based more around like larger world stuff. Um, as they come to grips with the consequences of the stuff that happens this season. And I'm really excited to take a story that started that starts so personal for the characters and expand it out and then expand it out again. And that's kind of the idea for this is taking a seed of these, these characters and watching them grow into uh, a story and then watching that story grow into an epic. And I, I really am excited to watch that transformation all the way across. So as a final question, what do you find most interesting about writing serial fiction? So... I'm a relatively new author when it comes to the public space. And one thing that I love about serial fiction, um, so I have ADHD, uh, which means I get really into things for a, for, a, for a period of time and then I like find something else to do. And then I'm really into that and this is my new love and it will be my love forever until I find the next thing. And then uh, that's my new love again. And it's a thing. Serial fiction, however, has uh, assisted me very, very well because I have a deadline. And I have a weekly thing and it is due. And I have made commitments with, with people to look at my work and tell me and give me feedback. And, and I love that as a writer, that constant requirement that's not stressful because I'm not requiring something that's beyond my ability to produce easily. It's just requiring me to actually do it. And I like that. As far as the story, it allows so much more for uh for me to dive in and do sort of like monster of the week style stuff to have like episodes that are just really really cool where i'm like you know what i really think they should fight i don't know 100 vampire chihuahuas and like i can have an episode for that there's no reason not to like currently there's not one there may be now but um, i hope there is please write that <laughs> right so good um and and I can I can I can have those wherever I want in the story as long as um, I continue building the story. I think Supernatural, the TV show, used to do uh, uh, a week would be Monster of the Week and B week would be story, uh, like the overarching like tale of the season. Um, and I think that that opens up a lot of doors as a writer and makes the story that much more fun. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate you all having me on. Our thanks today to Alexander Bain for letting us share their episode. If you liked it, you can find it on Royal Road Free. The link is in the show notes. Also, if you're a writer, we have a companion podcast, The Writer's Serial Fiction Show, where we talk with authors about their stories and discuss the elements of writing compelling serial fiction. We want to thank you for listening to The Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, 
We read all of them and take your suggestions. You can also leave a comment on this episode on our website, SerialFictionShow.com. Finally, we now have a Patreon where you can get Serial Fiction Show episodes early and other great stuff. We have tons of things in the works. Check it out at patreon.com slash Serial Fiction Show. Thanks. And we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And that's that's a a wrap. Okay, <laughs> whose cat is that? Is <laughs> Did you hear the cat? Oh, I, no. cat. <laughs> oh. I didn't know because we all have menageries. I'm like, whose cat is that? I'm like, my cat hates this room, so I'm pretty sure it's not her. <laughs> I think it's someone else's cat. <laughs> no, that's that's Harry. He's one of our new kittens. Uh we Aww. got him uh, a little over a year ago. He's a, he's adorable, he's fantastic. But when he's not when he doesn't have Papa's attention, he will sit at the door and scream, mm-hmm. which is Aww. the thing. I yeah, think he needs to come adorable. in on the podcast. I mean, <laughs> where is he? Are you still out here, Bob? Yeah? I don't know if you can. Come here. Come on, Harry. You can be you, on the podcast? <laughs> He's one of our four. Ah. One of our four cats. <gasps> Hi, Harry. Oh, my gosh. Yes. He's so cute. Just want to squeeze the cat now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, four cats and a dog. That's our nice. That's our home of happiness. And yeah, where did you where did you go? Sorry, hold on. I got to get him out of here. Into the shadows. Mess, he's gonna mess with my stuff. Come on, let's go, boo. Come on, Bubba. No, that's my chair. Appearance of Harry the cat. On that, the that, that is my chair. Thank you. Hello, Pippin. Play with your brother, please. So we have so. <laughs>